Hey everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go! We'll be starting out this week in Matthew chapter 27 finishing up the book of Matthew and then going through a big chunk in the book of Mark all the way up through Mark chapter 13. Last week we left off as Jesus was headed to the cross in chapter 27 and in chapter 28 with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And just a couple of quick notes to point out on this very important passage of scripture. One is to take note of in all of the Gospels as we go through how prominently the women figure in the resurrection accounts of Jesus. And this is one of the intriguing features of the Gospels because many liberal scholars would say that you know, the Gospels were written 100, 200 years after Jesus, and that they were made up stories based on a legend of a person named Jesus. If that's true, one has to wonder why the women would feature so prominently in these stories if it wasn't true. Because women in a patriarchal system wouldn't make for the most credible eyewitnesses of the most amazing historical event ever in the history of the world. And if someone comes back to life in such a a pronounced way, you're probably not going to have the testimony of women sitting at the cornerstone of the whole thing. And yet, that's one of the key features that all the Gospels have in common, is that the first eyewitnesses were the women. Another interesting feature of Matthew's Gospel is how he ends the whole matter. He has, in the words of Jesus, as he's ascending to the Father, he says, Therefore go and make disciples to all nations. Now think back to last week. How did the Gospel of Matthew begin? Remember that genealogy? And it starts off with the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the beginning, Jesus is portrayed as the Jew of Jews. And yet, even in his genealogies, there's little hints of the Gentiles and the presence of the Gentiles coming through. And now, by the time we get to the end of Matthew, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the new covenant is now poised to go to all the nations, all ethnic groups, all peoples everywhere. This was something unprecedented under the the old covenant. Sure, we've seen types and shadows and hints here and there with, with Jonah going to Nineveh or Rahab or Ruth, but nothing on this scale where Jesus is commissioning his followers to go out into all the world. And notice the second part of Jesus's command. It's not only that they are to go into all the world or to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second part, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice that part because that's the part that has been eclipsed so much in our culture. There is 
a trend today among some churches, some churches even with the evangelical name of Jesus just accepts everyone just as they are. Well, yes, Jesus does accept everyone just as they are when they come to the cross and in their need of forgiveness and, and he calls them to repentance. But then at that salvation, then there is the, the time of discipleship and, and continuing to repent and turning away from your sin. And, and Jesus will not allow us to go on in our sins unpunished. He will not allow us to dwell in that, that land of how we used to be. Now we are a new creation. We have crossed over into the new covenant and our lives should reflect that. And part of what we need to be doing is preaching the gospel, baptizing people, and then teaching them into discipleship and how to walk in the ways of Jesus. Christianity isn't just a belief and well I believe in Jesus and that's all it takes and don't judge me about anything about how I live. Jesus instructs his disciples that they are to teach others as he has taught them that commandments or laws are part of the way that we are to live in God's kingdom. God wants his people to live in a certain way. No, it doesn't earn us our salvation, but it is a manifestation of our gratitude toward God for saving us. Now we get to the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a very short gospel, only 16 chapters. And it was probably the first gospel that was written. Most scholars think that Mark was a source for both Luke and Matthew, and that probably the Apostle Peter is the Apostle who stands behind Mark, that it is his recollections of Jesus's ministry that are recorded in this gospel. Because it's thought to be the earliest gospel, it was probably written in the 50s, so maybe about two decades after the time of Jesus. So if we might compare that today, it might be somewhat similar to writing a memoir about the first Clinton administration or the end of the uh, first Bush administration in the early 90s. That's about the, the distance between the time of Jesus and the time of the writing of the Gospel of Mark. And there'll be several key things to watch for as you're going through the book of Mark. One thing you're going to notice right away is that there's no birth account. It just kind of starts with Jesus as an adult and he's being sent out by the Lord and he gets tempted and then he starts his ministry. It's a, it's a very fast pace in the book of Mark. These are quick little vignettes of the ministry of Jesus through the eyes of Peter and recorded by Mark. There's some clues in the text that make us think that Mark was probably written to Gentiles because Mark, he, he sometimes explains the meaning of Jewish customs or he translates certain Aramaic words so that the reader can understand. So this makes us think that the readers were not Jews. Otherwise, they wouldn't need those kinds of explanations. One of the features of Mark that really stood out to me as I was reading through it is just how often Jesus encounters the supernatural. This was a, a culture that believed in the supernatural. It's not like our culture today where the supernatural is looked upon as being 
that's sometimes believed by super spiritual people or it's kind of a superstition um, where even many of us are hesitant to even believe that God intervenes in our everyday life. But these ancient people believed that God was everywhere and involved in everything, everything from the weather to the crops to how many children you had to whatever you were going through, the gods were in that. And from a Jewish perspective, we see Jesus confronting the powers of demons and even Satan himself all along in his ministry in the book of Mark. So that's something that you can watch for is how often Jesus is interacting with spirits and and even when he's healing people, he's coming up against these diseases oftentimes as being the result of demonic activity. And what Jesus is trying to show us in the Gospels is that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has intervened into the world. If you remember back to the prophets, remember their descriptions oftentimes, what the world would be like when the Messiah would come. And they would talk about this age, that this age was filled with evil and and disease and and sickness and, and demons and that evil people triumph over the good. But in the age to come, the prophets told us, the the time of God's rule, it would be characterized by the presence of the Spirit and righteousness and health and peace and prosperity and wine and food and all of these things would be there in the age to come. And that was the age in which the, the people were expecting the Messiah to speak into. Well, what Jesus does is that he inaugurates or ushers in the kingdom, but not exactly in the way that the Jews expected, because it was in the midst of the age that was already there. So if we might think about this, is that before the time of Jesus, under the old covenant, it was living in this present age. And then Jesus comes and he inaugurates the kingdom. And you're going to see that in the gospel of Mark. And we've already seen in the gospel of Matthew. He says, you know, the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom has come. And in that sense, the next age has come to earth in Jesus. And so he is bringing us a foreshadowing, a foretaste of the the future age. And so he brings righteousness. He brings healing from disease. He brings a time of, of food to abundance as he feeds thousands of people. The wine flows at the wedding of Cana in the book of John. There is restored health and there is even resurrection from the dead with Lazarus and with Jesus. So we have this foreshadowing of the kingdoms to come. It's coexisting with this present evil age. And so we live in that time. We live in the time of the present evil age and that the kingdom has come in some reality. Is it complete? No. Is it in its fullness? No, but we have that foretaste. And so we can live in a mode of seeing miracles, seeing people healed from disease at times, to seeing restoration and health and 
provision of bountiful food at times. These are all ways that God can intervene in the lives of his people in the midst of this present evil age. And when Jesus comes again, this present evil age will be done away with completely and we will live in the future kingdom and it will be fully realized. So scholars call the time that we live in right now the now and the not yet. It's this present evil age is the now and the not yet is the the life and the kingdom to come. So as you go through the book of Mark this week, look for those spots where Jesus is bringing a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth and it's breaking into this present evil age and you see these two worlds colliding. You see healing coming. You see food coming forth. You see life over death. You see power over demons. All of that is coming to a head in the ministry of Jesus. Finally, Let's talk a little bit about parables because we've already read a lot of parables in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to keep reading more parables in the coming Gospels. So it'll be good to have some basic principles of how to properly interpret parables under our belts. Now, the first thing we should say about parables is there's really a variety of types of parables. So you want to look at the parable and try to figure out like, what kind of parable is this? Now the parable of the Good Samaritan is really a true parable. It's, it's a complete story. It's all in one unit. It teaches a major point. But there's other kinds of parables. There's metaphors. There's like when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. That's a metaphor of what we ought to be as his people. Sometimes Jesus even engages in allegory where different aspects of the parable stand for certain ideas or other things that are pointed to in the parable. Like in the parable of the, the seeds and the sower, he says this kind of soil means this and this kind of soil means that. That would be a way that it, the parable has allegorical features. Basically, parables take illustrations from everyday life that the people could relate to. And Jesus would capitalize on those things to make a very specific point. Another thing to remember is that Jesus didn't have to explain the parables very often. Sometimes he used parables as like insider teaching so that the meaning would only be apparent to those who are following him as disciples, but the crowds would be sort of confused about what he was saying. Other times he used parables as a way of explaining to the crowd a certain point and they knew exactly what he was saying and he didn't have to explain it very much. Often the real kick of the parable was that it had a twist in the end and that's what you have to watch for is the twist and it often goes unspoken because it would have been understood by that culture it's just like a joke if you have to explain a joke to your audience then it's really not that funny Jesus didn't have to explain a lot about the parables because the people often understood them often vast parts of the parables that we don't understand because things were unspoken and unexplained so that can be the difficulty in interpreting the parables. It really helps when you interpret the parables to look for the surrounding context, 
to see how does Jesus lead into the parable? What is it that this parable is supposed to be illustrating from the words of Jesus? Usually they follow a sermon or they illustrate a sermon point that Jesus is trying to give. So look for that lead in because that lead in is usually intimately connected to the main purpose of the parable itself. You don't want to interpret a parable just standing on its own. And often the authors would string together several parables, all with illustrating similar points, but in a variety of ways. There's several parables that start off that say the kingdom of God is like, and then it will give an illustration of what that's like. It's telling us something about the nature of the kingdom of God. The parables were essentially verbal vehicles that Jesus was trying to use to call people to action. He wanted them to understand something about the kingdom and what his kingdom would be like when it was, as it was coming in and it was cracking open this present evil age and it was ushering in a new era in God's plan, he wanted people to understand what his kingdom, his new covenant people would be like and how they should live. The main question you want to ask when you're interpreting any kind of a parable is what is the main point? Try to focus on one main point. Try not to get all bogged down in the details of the parable itself or in the illustration itself. Many of these illustrations are going to be difficult because they come from farming societies. Most of us are not farmers or we didn't come from farming people. So we don't often understand the depth and richness of some of these parables in that way. So just try to focus on the main point. What is the main thing that Jesus is trying to teach through this parable. That will get you pretty far down the road in understanding the parables. Well, I hope that gives you some things to look for this week as you journey through the Gospel of Mark. We'll continue talking about Mark next week and finish it up and then get into another one of my favorite Gospels, which is the Gospel of Luke. And I look forward to continuing our adventure together next week on Route 66. We'll see you then. God bless.